Four Points, how are you? Man, do you love the weather this morning? Yeah, some of us. Okay, some of you know. That's okay. We all love the Lord. At least we can agree on that, I think, right? Amen? Right, because I love the weather. Um, I, I grew up in Washington State, the Pacific Northwest, so... Uh, it's it's wet there. It, this is the weather. I mean, this is like a beautiful day. And so, uh, man, I just felt like the Lord was like, Dan, I bless you. Which is funny because uh, this morning we're going to be talking about being blessed. We're going to be talking about being blessed. We're in the middle of a series called Blessed, Broken, and Given. It's a series on the Lord's table and and when we say the Lord's table, we're talking about communion uh, in the Catholic Church, in High Church, Anglican Church, they'll call it Eucharist. Um, some people are really afraid of that term, but actually the Greek word, uh, they call it Eucharist because the Greek word for uh, Eucharisto, where we get the word, actually means thankful. It means thanksgiving. And so uh, I think it's a totally appropriate name that we're coming to. The Lord's table where we're remembering what he did for us and what does it produce in us but thanksgiving. Last week, Pastor Russ introduced the series. He talked about the pattern that we see Jesus make throughout Scripture when it comes to meals. At the feeding of the 5,000, at the feeding of the 4,000 in Mark, uh, on the road to Emmaus, after Jesus has been crucified, there's two disciples on this road, and they're kind of thinking to themselves, this really stinks. The one we believe to be the Messiah has been crucified, he's dead. And not realizing that Jesus had been risen from the grave, Jesus shows up undercover. Kind of an undercover boss situation, I think. He just shows up and he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? You know, my name's John. <laughs> and they, they, they're telling him, like, man, do you not know what happened? Jesus died. And Jesus is like, yeah, I do know. <laughs> I think I know a little about that. But at the end of the road, they're, they're, they're talking with this guy. They don't recognize him as Jesus. And they say, would you just come and eat with us? So he sits down. This John sits down with him at the table. And it says he takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives it. And the moment he does that, their eyes are open and they see Jesus among them. And this pattern of being of blessing the bread, breaking it and giving it, is seen also in the Last Supper. When Jesus institutes communion, the practice of communion that we all participate in, he takes the bread. In Matthew chapter 26 Verses 26 and 28, and this is the primary text for this morning's message. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Verse 27, then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, or blessing it, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So the first thing we see Jesus do after taking the bread is that he blesses it. But my question to you this morning is, what does it really mean 
to bless something. What does it mean to be blessed? We live in a country that is one of the wealthiest countries in the entire world. And our entire economy is built on what's called consumerism. We have to pay and purchase and consume. And as we do that, it provides money for the economy to function. Now, do I think that's the best way to do it? I don't know. I'm not an economist. But here's what I can tell you about our economy and our value system and how it shapes us as a people. It's easy, even, so here's the thing, even if you look at all the countries in the world, even the poorest people here in the United States are still considered within the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. And that shapes the way we think. And I think, and I believe, that when we hear blessings, when we hear the word blessings, when we hear the word, man, the blessed life, what we really hear is the good life. What ends up happening is we begin to confuse blessings with material things. We begin to confuse convenience for God's blessing on our life. We pull into the parking lot. We want to get some groceries. We know we haven't been there in a while, and we got a lot of groceries, and we're pulling around through the parking lot, and all of a sudden we're getting close to that front door, and someone backs out right in front of us, and the first thing we think is, yes, God has blessed me. I am highly favored, pressed down, shaken together, and running over on the head and not the tail. Come on, I grew up in the Pentecostal church, so I know all about it. Okay, We're blessed. I had a friend of mine. And listen, I love deals, okay? <laughs> and I mean, blame it on growing up in a, in a household with a Korean mom, but it was never about like how expensive something was. It was always about how big of a discount I got at it. You know, that's, that's you know, I'm like, I'm blessed. And I had a friend of mine, he looked at me, he goes, I was like, no, I love, I love Ross Dress for Less. <laughs> I mean, come on, get out the way. I'm breaking the doors down, you know. And he's like, what Dress for Less? That's more like Dress for Poverty mindset. I'm like, what? And that's exactly what we do, right? We think, man, if I get a good deal, then I'm blessed. I got a good deal on my truck. I got a good deal on my house. I got a good deal on this shirt. I'm blessed. I got that promotion that I've been working for. I'm blessed. I got a bigger paycheck. I'm blessed. Why? Because I got what I wanted. I'm blessed because I got what I wanted. And at some point, we have to ask ourselves, is the blessed life really all about just getting what you want or getting what makes your life more convenient? Because that doesn't sound like a blessed life. That sounds like a selfish one. In a place and culture where there's an abundance of material wealth that's conditioned around this consumerism, it's easy to look at the things that make our lives easier or more convenient, those things that are enjoyable or that we prefer, and make that the primary meaning of being blessed. But I just come back to this question, is that 
all that blessing really is. To get what we want. What happens when we don't get what we want? What happens in the situations where we don't get the promotion or we don't get a good deal? What happens when, when the doctor's report comes back negative? What happens then? The only answer, when we make blessings equate material wealth and convenience, when we equate those two things, what happens is the moment we stop getting the conveniences, we, we're only left with this one thought. God must have removed his blessing from my life. Glenn Packiam is a pastor, acquaintance of mine. We went to school together. He wrote a book on the Lord's table. And this is what he says about this. He says, not surprisingly, we have no clue what to do with suffering and hardship. What happens when things don't go as planned? What happens when the job is given to someone else? When the doctor's report isn't positive? When the house doesn't sell? When the relationship or the marriage ends? Come on, guys. I know that there's something on this screen right now that you've walked through. What happens? Are we still blessed? Does this mean that God has pulled his blessing from our lives? And this morning I want to tell you, no. No. It does not mean that God's blessing has been removed from your life. What has been removed from your life is the lie that everything going my way is the blessed life. Or maybe, and this, this is insidious. Guys, this is in it. We understand that there's nothing we could do to earn our salvation, but somehow we think, if I'm going to live a blessed life, I've got to do all the right things. And if I don't, then God will remove his blessing from me. So then we start immediately going, okay, what? it's like when I was a kid and I'd get called to the principal's office. I never thought, oh man, I must be getting a blessing. I always thought to myself, what did I do wrong? And I start going through everything that I could possibly have done wrong. And just immediately I'm thinking of all the excuses why what I did wasn't wrong. And we treat God the same way. The moment blessing is removed from our lives, we begin to just go through the list. But God, I tithe. Lord, I give generously. Lord, I serve at the soup kitchen. God, I do all these things. Why are you removing your blessing from my life? And I'm here to tell you this morning that he isn't. Perhaps he's just removing the lie. Glenn Packian comes back and he says this again. We start to run into, this pro, uh, into problems when these material blessings of comfort and convenience are seen not as hints of a blessed life, but rather as the essence of one. It's one thing to thank God for the little things, even the seemingly trivial successes. And you know what? I think it's one thing also to thank God for the big successes. It's another thing altogether to assume that blessing equates to a happily ever after perfectly charmed life. It's another thing all together. Because here's the truth. God blesses because of who he is, not because of who you are. God blesses because that's what he does, not because of what you do. God is the font of blessing, 
whether I've earned it or not. And that's the grace of the gospel. That's why the gospel is called good news. God blesses us with relationship with him whether I deserved it or not. That's the good news. The moment we take that away, it's no longer good news. It's just slavery. Why do you think people are running away from the church? It's because we fall into this lie. Are you with me this morning? So I'm here to tell you this morning that it is n the blessed life is not the good life. But the blessed life is the God life. The Greek word for bless used here in scripture, Matthew, is eulageo. And uh, the New Interpreter Dictionary Bible Dictionary for Bless says this, words and ritual acts associated with blessing are the primary means by which divine favor is invoked, distributed, acknowledged, and lauded or praised in biblical and Christian traditions. What does that mean? That when we talk about blessing, what we're talking about is God's divine favor. Okay? So, and we do this. I get it. The language is just one of those things that changes over time. My kid, my, my son came home the other day and he's like, boy, that guy's got riz. I'm like, excuse me? I don't have any idea what you're saying to me right now. You know, and, and then when he explained it to me, I was like, okay, I can get behind that one. I'm okay with it. You know why? Because I'm a stickler for the English language, right? And I'm like, at least it's like related, riz, charisma. I could like figure it out in my head. And then he comes home and I'm like, hey, son, you want to throw the football? And he's like, bet. I'm like, I'm bet on what? No, you want to bet? I'm like, what are you going to bet? You don't have money. You don't make anything. Everything you have, I've given you. And he's like, and he just goes, oh, dad. <laughs> I'm like, boy, I'm going to slap that look right off your face. Blessing's all about divine favor. But even that, even divine favor, we still can twist that to our own ends, can't we? Oh, it was God's divine favor that I got that parking spot real, just right up close. And the poor old lady with a walker still has to park in parking lot A66 out in no man's land. So what is the blessing? How do we know it? How do we understand it? When you're studying your Bible, and I know all of you study your Bibles every day. I just can sense it. I can feel it. I just see that on you. But one of the things I learned, someone, did someone just clap? Did someone just clap that they read the Bible? Good. All right. Okay. Let's move on. I'm just going to move on. <laughs> one of the lessons you'll learn in reading the Bible is this, that when, when, when you see, it's called the law of first mention. When you, when you see something first mentioned in Scripture, it holds a, a, a certain level of importance to understanding what that is. So if I want to know more about blessing from Scripture, what I need to do is I need to find out where is blessings first utilized in Scripture? Where is it first used? Where, where do we first see it? And the first place we see it, imagine this, is in Genesis chapter 1. I mean, from the very get-go, it's like God saying, hey, listen, when all things are being created, you need to know that I'm a God of blessing. 
That's who I am. Scholars believe, and I didn't go into this in, in first service, so this is for free, and it's just for you guys who are just special. But scholars believe that when Genesis was written under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it was written while the Israelites were not in Jerusalem. They weren't in Israel. Babylon had come in, kicked their tail, tore down the temple, and took them back to Babylon as slaves. They were slaves. And they, what, what, the, what the priests saw happening was without that temple and without the practices that made them Israel, they began to lose their faith because they started looking like the world around them. And that should convict some of us. And there was this creation story in Babylon that was being propagated. And in their creation story, humanity were slaves. We were just slaves. And the, and the gods hated humanity. And under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they begin writing down and chronicling God's creation. And what does God say? He creates and he says, this is good. This is good. It's a totally radical reformulation of what creation means and what was happening and what God's intention was. And blessing comes to us in the story of creation from the very beginning. And this is what it says. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, so God created, no, no, go to the other one. There you go, 21. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves, of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. And what does it say? Verse 22, God blessed them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. See, here's the thing. Sin has not come on the scene. God is creating everything according to his will and his desire, and he creates humanity. So he blesses all that he's created. Then he goes to humanity, which is verse 27. So let's go to the next slide. Genesis verse 27, it says in chapter 1, so God created humans in his image. Now, what does it mean to create humans in his image? Well, we understand that God is, a, is, is Trinitarian. What does that mean? He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, eternally in relationship. And he says, I'm going to create humans in my image, in the image of relationships. Because he's creating man, and he's creating woman, and he's saying, I want them to be in relationship with me. This is my good and perfect will, relationship with me and with one another. So he creates them in his image. And what does it say in verse 28? God, God, come on, God blesses them. So we see God blesses what he creates. Looking at the very beginning of all things, we see that the blessed life is the life we have in God, with God, fulfilling God's purposes. Even the birds of the air were blessed with what? Be fruitful and what? Multiply. There's purpose inherent in our identity. And our identity is fully realized only in Christ, in God. God created us to be in relationship with him. What am I trying to say to you? The blessed life is the God life. It's, so when we bless something, 
When something's being blessed, this is what's happening. God's divine favor is being invoked or put onto something so that they can be in God, with God, doing what God wants to do. That's the blessed life. Okay, now why is this important? Because now the blessed life isn't about the good life, about getting what I want to get, about getting the nicest car. The blessed life is about me being restored in my relationship with God, drawing, clo drawing closer to him with every step, with every breath, with every thought, I'm drawing closer to God. And because of that, I'm being shaped into his image. And as I'm being shaped into his image, I'm doing what he's doing in the earth. That's the blessed life. That's why some of the greatest saints in history, they weren't special or beyond you but they would walk through hardship and tragedy and they could say they were blessed. Why? Because they understood God was using the hardship to draw them close, to establish relationship with them. That is the blessed life. Don't be confused. So listen, is money evil? No. Do you have a good job? Great. Just make sure that that paycheck is drawing you closer to God and it's equipping you to do what God wants to do. That's the blessed life. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called to what? According to his, to his purpose. He's working all things for your good. That's the blessed life. Let's follow the story here in the creation story. You know, in chapter one, we see the creation of humanity, of the world. God blesses it. But then in chapter three, we see that Adam and Eve fall to sin, right? And that's where, where we find ourselves today. We're, we're, we're bound by sin. We're bound. They introduced it like it's like this corruption into humanity. And now we're all corrupted. And we, we yearn for things we know we shouldn't. And the things we know we should do, we, we just can't do it. We're trapped. Have you ever felt that way? Come on, church, are you with me this morning? Have you ever felt that way? Some of you might have come into this church this morning feeling this way. I'm trapped. So when the woman, this is interesting, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this what tree, is, what, is, what tree are we talking about here? We're talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree that God said, hey, listen, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat this one because you'll die. The enemy comes along and says, did God really say that? So he tempts her and he says, you should eat it. And it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. In other translations, it says the tree was desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband also who was with her, and he ate. What a, why is this important? Because listen, not only does it reveal to us our condition, we're trapped, but it also shows us that the blessing, the blessed life is not the good life. She looked at the good food. It was delightful to the eyes. It was desirable for gaining wisdom. Listen, just because something's good in your life does not make it a blessing. 
In fact, the enemy will use good things to lead you away from the blessing. Because the blessing is the God life. But if your, if your paycheck, if your paycheck means more to you than drawing near to God, it is no longer the blessing, it is the curse. When I was in eighth grade, I was called to ministry. I, I mean, I went to this camp, and, man, I was, I was just all about it. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys can remember the day that you came to the Lord, but when you're in eighth grade and you come to the Lord and you just, you receive that, you just, and you feel like you're called to ministry, I mean, it's like I'm passionately all for it. Young people are like that. It's like they just, they just go a hundred miles an hour from zero in about two seconds. Nowadays, I, I, I just can't, it's like I'm just tired thinking about that kind of passion. And in fact, I, I, get, I get sore just laying in bed. I get tired. I wake up tired. I, get, I like pull a muscle because I laid in bed too long. That, that's some serious changes in my, my life since I was a kid. But when I was in eighth grade, man, I was all about it. I was like, yes, I'm going to, God, I'm going to serve you. Lord, I'll die for you. <laughs> in eighth grade, what did I know? So then, and I've shared this, my story with you guys some, um, but I went through, it was just right around that time that my father uh, was no, no longer in the, in the army due to some cutbacks. And uh, we went through like really hard time financially and, and to the point where we started dipping way below that poverty line. And here's the thing. My freshman year rolls around, and my best friend at the time was wealthy. His, his dad was an oral surgeon. And um, they, were, they were cashing it in, you know. And I remember thinking, that looks pretty good. I like that. That looks blessed. And so I thought to myself, I know you called me to ministry, Lord, so here's what I'll do. Yeah. I'm not going to be a pastor. What I'm going to do is I'll, I'm going to get into the medical field. That's what I'll do. I'll get into the medical field. I'll make this money, and then I'll go overseas and just minister. That's how I'll minister. So then my sophomore year of high school rolls around, and I decide I'm going to go on a missions trip with my church. And we decided to go to India. Now, how many of you guys have ever been to India? Okay, nobody? All right. It's, it's a very different place. Um, it's It's... Well, you see the Taj Mahal and you see the pictures of it, but that is not what India is really like, okay? Uh, when I got there, I was confronted with a poverty that I didn't know what to do with. And uh, I, I was, uh, I remember, so for example, I was in a, there was like this souk. It's a out, like kind of this outdoor um, market. You go and you like touristy, right? You go and you buy all the different dresses and saris for your special one or whatever. You just buy stuff. But there are hundreds upon hundreds of homeless people just everywhere out there. Now, when I say homeless people, don't think about what, like homeless, what you see here. We're talking about people who are barely clothed that are so, and, and there are, uh, I think they're military technically, but they're, they're, there's like these soldiers on every corner with AK-47s because 
you're not allowed. It's against the law to give to the poor. Because if you do, it'll start a riot. And here I'm, you know, when you're walking along, you know, have you ever, like, you make eye contact with someone, you know, and, and you don't know them, and you just kind of do, and you're like, oh, I feel awkward now. I don't, yeah, what's up, <laughs> you know. And, and so I'm, I'm, like, walking through the streets, and I look over, and I make eye contact with this homeless guy. He's, he's sitting there on a mat uh, with only, like, these, this, this kind of tore up, you know, shorts, and, uh, and I just knew. It's like I knew he was going to come towards me. I knew that, that he was going to ask me for money. And I'm kind of looking around like, don't look, don't make eye contact. And, and I don't know, maybe you're driving a car and you see a homeless person standing there with a sign. It's, and you kind of look at him and you go, I didn't see. Huh? What? What? Oh, my phone. It's ringing. Yeah, okay. Oh, green light. Got to go. Like, you know, it's kind of one of those situations. Like, I don't know. I'm not allowed to give to you. And I'm a rule follower. I don't know what to do with my hands. You know, and this guy proceeds to come toward me. Now, he can't walk because his legs are so twisted in on themselves. He can't even get on his knees. So he, he begins to crawl towards me. Here's the thing. He, he can't roll over and crawl, so he's crab walking. And with the twisted, his legs being twisted, it was like, I mean, I was horrified. I, I was like, I didn't know. I was like watching. I didn't know what I was looking at at 15 years old. And then he, he gets close enough to me where he could get money from me, and he lifts up his hands like this. And when I look, he has no hands. They're just nubs. And dark skin, going to pink, white. And I was wrecked. I'd never seen anything like it before. I went to India and I saw an entire, I saw an entire, I mean, I saw entire segments of society being told by a caste system what their identity and their purpose was. You can't get out. You, you're poor. You'll always be poor. You were born that way. You'll die that way. You can't do anything to get out of that because that's your identity. And your purpose is just to be poor, to be sick. And I came back to the United States and it produced something in me Real, I like. I saw my friends trying to get their new cars and the best kicks, and and I felt this revulsion rise up in me. Like all they could talk about was, who are you going to ask to go to homecoming? And I mean, I, I was like, seriously, this feels just ridiculous. And I realized that, God, I was blind by wealth. I was blinded by my desires that centered on me. God, and I needed you. I needed you to open my eyes. Guys, and that was the blessing. 
the blessing was my eyes being open and me having to wrestle for months with these feelings of guilt. I felt guilty for being poor in America because I had a house over my head, a roof over my head. As soon as it came out, I thought, eh, that didn't sound right. See, and here's the thing. Sin comes on the scene and it separates Adam and Eve and it separates all of us from God and it, it mars our, we're, we're created in his image, but now it's all broken and fractured by sin and I, I don't know what to do with my life anymore, so I'm just gonna fulfill every desire that I can. But the story doesn't end there because God is working for our salvation. He's seeking to heal our identity as his image bearers, as sons and daughters of the living God. He's reestablishing us in our relationship with him and to empower us. This is what he wants to do. Church, this is what he wants to do in you. He wants to empower you as sons and daughters to fulfill his purposes in the earth, and that is the blessed life. No longer, the blessed life is not the good life. The blessed life is the God life. I came into this church this morning, and I thought, I just want to preach a real encouraging word. And I pray that this encourages you. But as I was worshiping, I thought to myself, God, would you just shake me out of my lethargy again? Would you shake me up once more? Because I've fallen asleep. I've been lured to sleep again. To be blessed is to be who we were originally made to be. And that blessing happens when we place ourselves in Jesus' hands, just like bread. Bread is common, that's right. And the truth is, sinful humanity, common common. We're all sinful. There's nothing that you can do to earn God's blessings. Nothing. We're broken. We're ugly. We, we've done horrible things. We think horrible things still. And yet God, that's it. That's all. That's it. And yet God. The truest thing about you, church, listen to me. The truest thing about you is not who you are now. It's not who, who you were yesterday. It's not what you did today, tomorrow. It's not what you do tomorrow. It, who you are, the truest thing about you is who God made you to be. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. Now, that's what it means to bless. So what is happening at the table? What's happening? When Jesus takes the bread, that which is common, and blesses it, what's he doing? What's he doing here? He says, this is my body. He says, this bread, it's my body. So what Jesus is doing when he blesses it, he's bestowing God's divine favor on the bread He's filling it with his glory so that those who partake of the bread, that is his body, those who partake of it receive Jesus into themselves and are transformed to be a part of his body. This is why Paul says, 
The church is the body of Christ. Even Jesus says, unless you, listen, those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me and me in them. When you come, see, this is, yeah, we remember. And listen, I'm not suggesting that perhaps there's some mystical thing happening when we take the bread that it is magically transformed into his flesh. But here is what I'm saying. I'm saying that the very real presence and power of God suffuses that bread because he wants to bless you. He wants to bring you back into relationship with him and he wants to equip you and empower you to go and be his hands and feet in the world. That is the blessed life. And he's wanting to bless you again this morning. Now, as I wrap up, I want you to think about this. We're gonna take, we're gonna take communion here in just a few moments. And when we do, I wanna invite you. Listen, on the road to Emmaus, that story I told at the beginning from scripture, it's interesting that they invite Jesus to come and be a guest at the table, and yet he takes the bread, blesses it, and breaks it, which is the job for the host. What does that tell us about the table, the Lord's table? That we are not the hosts. Jesus is the host. Jesus is the host, and when you come to the table, you're coming because he's invited you. And he's saying, listen, son, daughter, I want to bless you again. And we do this again and again. And I, I liken this to marriage. I told my wife before I married her that I loved her. I told my wife that I loved her at the altar. And here's the thing. I did not stop telling her that I loved her back then. Well, I told you when we got married. <laughs> it doesn't go over well, guys. Okay. What happens? I just celebrated my 14 year anniversary this last, yeah, this last weekend. Thank you. Now here's the thing. I just poured out love upon my wife and she did the same in return. And here's what happens. Nothing changed per se. I just, I'm saying it again. I'm remembering when we got married. I asked questions like, man, what's changed? since we got married, you know? Like, why remember? Because remembering opened up the door for God to do something in me. So I speak love upon my wife, I declare it, and it, something in me, it comes back, the Holy Spirit takes it, and it comes back and he changes me so that I am now loving her more. And again and again, and it's changing me. It's a process, guys. That's why we do communion. We need the gospel reminder every day so that we're constantly being transformed into Christ's image and not our image of the gospel. I don't need more televangelists telling me to give so I can get a blessing. I need more followers of Jesus Christ to take communion with me, to remind me that I'm not good enough, nothing I do is good enough, but Jesus is good enough and he loves us and he's wanting to change your life. That is the gospel and that is the blessed life that we encounter when we do communion. Don't do it without thought. Invest your faith in your heart. Invest your mind into this and say, I'm gonna love you with all that I am, with all my strength, with all my heart and with all my mind. God, change me. Can we do that this morning?
Can we do that this morning, church? There's so much that God wants to do in us if we would but let him. I pray God's blessing on you. I invoke God's blessing on your life today. May he draw you closer. And may he just activate that purpose that only you can do in the earth. In Jesus' name.